Welcome to the Revelation Church podcast. We trust today's message will speak to you. If you'd like to get in touch, just drop us an email at hello at revelationchurch.org.uk. I was going to do something a bit. I'm, I bring the chaos. That's what life is when I am given the stage and the mic. The elders are regretting it now. What did we do? No, nah, they're not. It's going to be good. Okay. All right. All will be revealed. Let that be a mystery for now. Okay. So not all of you will know this, but I wasn't born in the UK, and I'm foreign. I'm bare foreign. Um, I was seven when my family moved here from America. I'm half American on my dad's side, half Finnish on my mum's side, so speak a smattering of Finnish, hence the Finnish name, Thule, which means wind. Now, for some of us who've been on beans and pulses this last week, (laughs) you'll know how accurately I suit my name right now. It is pretty insane. Right, so, (laughs) I was seven when we moved over here and I started school in Birmingham. And I remember I was fresh off the boat, proper American accent, American vocabulary. I remember walking into this school and asking where the bathroom was and being laughed out of the room by everyone in the class. And I tell you, there is nothing quite like wanting to fit in that makes you change who you are so you don't stand out. And I remember losing my accent and my vocabulary changing almost overnight. It just went, hence the accent I have now. Didn't take me long to learn to lose my Americanness and learn how to interact like the English. There's this phrase when in Rome, do as the Romans do, and I learnt when in Birmingham, talk like the Brummies do. <laughs> I'm now in London, so it's changed again. Oh, it's wild. All right, anyone else here understand the idea of being misunderstood or being the odd one out or not quite fitting in? I'm sure all of us have experiences somewhere where we've felt that. Some of us have heard young people say stuff like, that song slaps, or I'm dead. And they're like, I know the words they are saying, but I don't understand what they mean. We're all in this situation together. Same language, different understanding. Right, we're going to recap. So the story that we're looking at today is in John 6. If you have your Bibles, do open them up. If you don't have your Bibles, get it up on your phone. It's, um, some of it will appear on the screen, but it's always really helpful to get used to how to navigate around this, even if it's looking it up on your phone. That's so helpful. So John 6. So the story is the feeding of the 5,000. Who's familiar with this story? Yeah. So I'm going to recap for all of us because it's always helpful. There was a large crowd that were following Jesus. Why? Because of the signs he did among the sick. He and his disciples were suddenly sitting on a mountainside And then he sees a crowd coming their way and he decides we're going to feed them. So he tells the disciples, feed them. And they say, we don't have enough money to feed them. But here's a boy's lunch. I don't know where they got it from, but they stole a boy's lunch and said, here's five loaves and two fish. (laughs) Let's feed these crowds with them, maybe. Jesus then does this amazing thing. He blesses and thanks God for the food, starts handing it out, and the disciples hand out, loaves and fish until 5,000 plus are fed and satisfied and there's leftovers because God is a God of abundance. Amen. So Jesus then leaves them, crosses to the other side of the sea. The next day, the crowd look up and they're like, oh, Jesus is gone. So they follow him. They had a good meal yesterday 
And today they're on a mission for today's lunch. And that's where we pick it up. So when Jesus said, I am the bread of life, which is what we're going to look at today, that's the I am of the kind of series that we're in today. I am the bread of life. He didn't say it to his 12 disciples. He didn't say it to religious leaders. He didn't say it to Mary and Martha, who were good followers of him. He was talking about bread with a crowd of people, and the crowd were hungry. That is the context. So as we go through, we're going to see how people who are only two feet apart in the natural can be worlds apart on another level. Same language, different understanding. So we're going to do something different. I'm going to ask you to be turning around into groups of three or four, and you're going to read the Bible passage together in a group. Ah, wild. I know, absolutely. So you might have to move. If you are a rever, look out for our guests and make sure that they are included. Not everyone has to read if you don't want to. Don't, but I'm just going to release you now. Get into groups of three or four. Nominate a person or two to read the passage out. It is on the screen, and there is a QR code as well that's going to come up. If you haven't, if you haven't got a Bible, you can scan the QR code and you'll get it. So... <clears throat> Oh, and one more thing, one more thing. So make a note on your fingers or wherever, every time Jesus mentions loaves or bread or food. Those, that's the passage. On your marks, get set. Go. <clears throat> okay, so how many times does Jesus mention bread or food or loaves? Now, it's not a test. Depending on your translation, we're talking around 10 times. So it's... Depending on, and whether you included manna, maybe you didn't see manna. There you go, see? Yeah, you guys think you're tricksy, but I know, I know. Okay, so it seems like on the surface that Jesus and the crowds are talking about the same thing. They're talking about bread, they're talking about food, they're talking about hunger, but, but as we get into it, same language, different understanding. Let me tell you a story, a modern-day example. My, a good family friend of ours moved to the States about 25 years ago, and I remember my dad telling us a story of her experience in the early days of living in the UK when she needed a pair of shoes. So she goes to the shop to buy some, because that was before the internet 25 years ago. Um, and so she needed shoes. She went to a real shop. And the pair she liked happened to be in a box that was at the very top shelf in the store. And so the shop assistant, who was wearing a skirt, got a stepladder, put it out, and got ready to go up to the stepladder and get the box of shoes. And the American lady turned to her and said, would you like to, me to get them? I'm wearing pants. How offended was this shop assistant? I'm wearing pants too, thank you very much, is what she said. Pants. In British English, it's underwear. And in American English, it's trousers. Same language, different understanding. Two feet apart on one level, worlds apart on another. Are we getting the theme? That is the theme. So what is going on in this passage? It is the tale of two kingdoms. So on the 8th of May, does anyone know what we're going to get? A bank holiday! <laughs> Why? There's a coronation. We will be witnessing the coronation of King Charles. We will transition out from the reign of Queen Elizabeth II and into the reign of King Charles III. We'll start to see a new face on our money. 
and our banknotes. We're going to start seeing our stamps look a bit different. Post boxes will look different. They're not going to have ER on them anymore. The new ones will have CR on them. Some of the uniforms that we see are going to change. But most of us won't really experience dramatic change. There's no line to cross from one reign to the next. We're citizens of the United Kingdom now, and we'll be citizens of the United Kingdom then, depending on what your nationality is. But Colossians 1, 13, 14 tells us that on another level of kingdoms that aren't defined by monarchies and aren't defined by geographic lines or national borders, there is a kingdom that is perishing, and a kingdom that is eternal. It says, The Father has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. On one level, we're speaking one language, but there's a whole other level and a whole new language. The domain of darkness is one that is perishing, That's a word that means wasting away or dying or rotting or falling apart, coming to an end. The domain of darkness is fading away. It's a kingdom of the flesh and the finite. It's a kingdom of the the temporary. It's a kingdom of the breakdown and fall apart, and it leads to death. But then there's the eternal kingdom. And this is the one that's increasing. This is the kingdom of the spiritual and the eternal. It's everlasting, and it's under the rule of a king, Jesus, and it leads to life, life everlasting. And this is the backdrop of the conversation that we have between Jesus and the crowd, the tale of two kingdoms, a conversation of the same language on two levels. Now, the crowds liked the idea of having a king. They were, at that time, under the oppressive rule of the Romans, and a king could deliver them from that oppression. But they also liked the idea of a king who would fill their bellies Look at the verses of 14 and 15, if you have them in front of you. It says, When the people saw the sign, the multiplying of the bread that Jesus had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Why did Jesus do that? Why did we withdraw? Jesus is the king, after all. But he's the king not of their kingdom. He's not the king of the perishing kingdom, which is where they were. He's the king of the eternal kingdom. They were looking for a king who would give them food so they could live another day. But this king is offering food so they can live forever. They're obsessed with the here and now, with the present day, with the things that are perishing. But Jesus is inviting them to consider eternity beyond this life. They don't want an eternal king. They want a daily baker. Right, we're going to flash through some of um, the passage. So have it in front of you again. Okay, perishing kingdom, eternal kingdom. Let's see the different levels at work in this conversation. So Jesus says, you're seeking me because you ate your fill of loaves. Loaves, temporary. But he says, work for the food, 27. Work for the food that endures to eternal life, where the Son of Man, Jesus, He will give it to you. 28. But what are the works of God that will will feed us? I can't read this so far. I'm getting old. And Jesus says in 29, believe in me, eternal, perishing. Okay, 
Verse 13, 31. Okay, prove you're someone special. Make us lunch. That's what Moses did. And 32, Jesus says, Moses didn't do the miracle. It was God who fed you, and he wants to feed you again with spiritual food. And then 34, okay, they're thinking about their bellies again. Give us this bread. And Jesus, verse 35, the one that we're going to, which is the key of today's message I am the bread. I will satisfy your spiritual hunger and your spiritual thirst. It's the tale of two kingdoms, the perishing and the eternal. And when you're in one, the perishing, you cannot understand the eternal one. You cannot grasp eternity. But friends, we were created to live eternally. There's hunger in all of us for eternity. That wants to believe that this life can't be all there is. There's hurt and there's pain and there's loneliness. And there's a few moments of happiness and then there's death. Is that really all that we're living for? And you're right, there is so much more. There's a kingdom where the perishing comes to an end and it lasts forever. Look around you. We know there's something wrong. Okay, imagine with me a world that doesn't perish. Okay, imagine no more food going moldy, no more milk going sour, no more lumpy bits in your tea, no more replacing light bulbs, no more iPhone cables breaking again. No more boilers breaking down. Amen. We want that. No more replacing fridge parts and washing machines. No more failed MOTs. No more new tires. What a world. Sound good? Okay, there's more. No more animals going extinct. No more drought or floods. No more ruined harvests. No more watching the world around us get ruined by greed. Sound good? A world of eternal life also means no more injury and no more illness. It means no more hospital visits, no more prescription meds, no more creams and tablets and jabs, no more empty chairs at family gatherings. It means no more funerals. It means no more death. And this is the life we were made for in the Garden of Eden where God made Adam and fashioned Eve. He made us to live eternally. But something broke and the perishing entered the world. <sighs> but oh, what mercy. <laughs> Jesus wants to give us eternity. But the question is, how do we get more? When we realize that we're starving for eternal bread, we've got to put earthly hunger to one side for a moment. We've got to start learning that we can't just feed on food that perishes, that's here today and gone tomorrow, and neglect the food that endures to eternal life. Because then we remain in a world that is perishing. At some point, we need to view the baker as the king. 
and what kind of king, as we did communion and heard earlier, is the kind who would gladly humble himself, become a man to save us through his death, which then created a doorway where you can pass from one world into another. Praise God. If you look at John 6 again, at the passage, 37 to 40, it says, All that the Father gives me will come to me. Whoever comes to me I will never cast out, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him, the Father who sent me, Jesus, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, no one of all he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Does that sound familiar to you? Have you ever come across a verse in called John 3.16? Any, anyone familiar with that particular verse? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world by, might be saved through him. This is the beautiful, beautiful promise we have. This is why we sing about Jesus, because we're living in a life where there is death and funeral and empty chairs at our tables. And, we, <laughs> and we've been saved by the mercies of God, not because of what we did, but because of what he offered and shed his blood for to make a doorway to enter into eternity. If you're willing, if you're here today and there's a sudden awareness in you, oh, maybe for the first time, or maybe it's been there for a while, that you're starving for eternal life. If you're willing, Jesus is willing to give you eternal life and save you from death. All you have to say is, Jesus, I'm hungry. I'm hungry for eternity. Give me this bread. I believe that without you I'm perishing, but with you I can have eternal life. And then through that doorway of believing in Jesus, you can enter in, out of the perishing, into the eternal life. And if you talk to Christians around you, what begins then is the most amazing, most mysterious and wonderful adventure of learning to live in a new kingdom with a new culture. Same language, different understanding. We might sound like we speak English, but we're talking a whole different world of language. But for some of us, our feet might be in an eternal kingdom, but our thoughts are in the perishing. We're still communicating in the old language. What do we do? And the answer is the same. Believe in Jesus. Devote yourselves afresh to the amazing and mysterious and wonderful adventure of learning to live in a new kingdom. With a new king, we submit to his ways of living. We learn to speak his language and we learn a new culture. Just like when I moved to the UK and became a Brummie all those years ago. We must learn to live like eternal beings again, relearn what that means. And my word, we will be satisfied, deeply, richly, abundantly satisfied. Jesus will satisfy us. That's what he promises. Jesus promises to satisfy us. 
But I'm on a journey of learning what that means. And I haven't got it all sewn up. But here's a little of what I've learned so far that maybe will help you. What does it mean to have Jesus as your satisfaction? It starts with belief. Believe in me. It starts with belief. So it's knowing that I may never be able to buy a house. But it's believing Jesus that I don't have to worry about a roof over my head, whether I'm renting or couch surfing or house sitting. He's going to take care of me in this life. But it's also believing there's a home for me that's eternal. There's bricks and mortars that maybe I'll be able to invest in in one life in this world that will crumble. But there's bricks and mortars that he has put together for me in eternal. It's knowing that I may never marry. But it's also believing in Jesus that when I take it one day at a time, he'll meet my needs for companionship in himself and through his people. But it's also believing that there is unspeakable joy and reward in taking up my cross and denying short-term comforts, short-term compromise, that will make it utterly worth it. It's knowing that some of the things I'm praying for and giving to and investing in in this life, I may never see, because I will die in this life. But it's knowing that all those investments, oh, they pay back big time. The, intre- the interest rate of heaven is phenomenal. It's infinite. We will spend all of eternity discovering the very depths of the interest rate of the love of God. When we say, oh, you know, one day in heaven, we're going to know, we're going to understand everything. Yes and no. He is so vast and so wide. His love is so deep, it's going to take forever to really plumb the very depths of the love of God. His Grace is so vastly wide, we will spend eternity discovering inch by inch just how far it goes, and we're never going to reach the end. His kindness and peace are just incredible. They're abundant. His joy is boundless. That means there's literally no boundaries. We can be wandering around like people in a desert forever trying to discover the very ends of God's joy. We won't find it. We won't find it. We're just going to have to ask him for a bit more eternity so that we can keep on discovering and he'll be like, here, have more eternity. That's what it's going to be like. We don't talk about eternity enough, do we? Because that helps the perishing when it's hard become that little bit easier because we set our hopes not in this. We transfer, we uproot our hopes in this life and transfer them and root them in the future, in eternity. That's what it means to be living in a different culture and a different kingdom when we're still in this one. Right. Time went quicker, but I think it's because God has a lot of stuff to say to us. Right. There's also personal challenges. Some of us on this Daniel fast have realized just how comforting food is. (laughs) And when you've had a rubbish day and you've cycled home in a rainstorm and the the first thing you want is a bar of chocolate (laughs) and a hot tea. (laughs) And you realize just on those little levels, the little comforts we find in the perishing. And I'm not saying it's wrong. Not saying it's wrong. 
God gave us a, a world to enjoy. When he created this world, he said it was good. It was good. But the question is, where's your hope? Where's your hope when you're feeling lonely, like I do often in this single life? What do I do? Take it one day at a time. Like, God, I'm lonely today. Today's a hard day. But it's going to be worth it in that life. It's going to be worth it. I don't want to compromise because it's not worth it. <clears throat> what do we do when we're worried? Do we reach for the TV just to kind of turn, turn off the, the worry for a bit? What do we do when we're nervous? Is God our first port of call or do we try and find friends to, to help shore us up as good as they are? What do we do when we're joyful? What do you do, what do, you do when you see the most spectacular sunset? I've got a friend who we would walk, I walked around with her when I visited her in Birmingham. She was like, look at this rose. Isn't it brilliant? I was like, yes, yes, I admired the rose with her. I was like, it's a very nice rose. And she said, Jesus, that flipping rose is amazing. And she's like, if the trees are clapping their hands out of gratitude to God, why are we not doing the same? Why are we not grabbing our friends and being like, look at what Jesus did. This is beautiful. Look at those chubby cheeks on that child. It is so good. Jesus, so good, so good. He is so good. Joy, where does our joy take us to? Do we suddenly try and share it with friends? Good, right? But also, do we also bring Jesus into it? We're like, Jesus. You're amazing. He's the best artist. He's the best poet. He's the best writer. He's the best author. He's every, in every way, he's the utter best. Do we bring him into our joy? Do we live in eternity where we know, huh, we're okay, guys, we're literally going to have a relationship with God forever. So if you're not investing in much of it now, there's going to be some awkward moments at the beginning of getting to know him. So start here, getting to know him in the day-to-day, -day, just bringing, I laugh with Jesus all the time. When I walk around and I trip over my feet, which is often because I'm a size 10, I just laugh with him. I know God, I know heaven's just like having, just like, you tripped and that's really funny. And I'm like, yes, I did. And I'm glad you enjoyed it. Just, it's so normal. It's so normal. That's, that's the eternal life. Don't get from this that it's like really super spiritual because it's not. It is just literally transferring our thinking from perishing to eternal. Okay, right. We're going to come into a land now. Um, oh, no, we're not, because I've just read my notes. There's a bit more. The thing is, God freely gives us access at great cost to himself. But when you come into a kingdom, it's not like being ruled over by King Charlie, who we love and honour. But he doesn't really... What, he, his decrees don't come out to us and we don't have to do anything. But in this kingdom, there is a king, and we submit and we yield to his ways. We have to learn day by day to kneel down before him. When some of our hopes and our dreams are still rooted in the perishing, we say, God, help us. I'm really fearful for where I'm going to sleep tomorrow. I don't know if there'll be a roof over my head. I'm really worried about rent and bills. But I believe you, Jesus, and your promises. And I want to fix my heart on those. Jesus, I'm here for you. I'm all for you.
And we learn to sing, Jesus, you're worthy of it all, with all our beings, day by day, as we uproot our hopes in this life and reroute them into the next. I'm going to invite the band up, I think. And they're going to prepare a song for us. I think some of us here like me, still have the challenge of learning to be eternal in our hearts. And some of us have got one foot in one side and one foot on the other and I have to tell you, at the end of the day, as you're in this kingdom, the perishing one, there is no two-sided thinking. You're in or you're out. But some of us have still got our thoughts on temporary things and we're still investing in the perishing and we're still investing in things that are not going to come to be. And we need to give that back to the Lord again and say, Lord, I've trusted in my own devices, my own ability to provide for myself. I've trusted in things of this life. I want to trust in you again. I want to be satisfied in you again. So we're going to sing a song. Um... And one thing I was reminded of this morning is that we're a body. So I could try and lead us in response time, but there are lots of you here who know and love Jesus. And there will be words stirring in us of what God wants to say to us. And so the mic is here, and let's not be hesitant to come forward and bring what God is sharing amongst us. And lastly, there's a picture I got this morning of a tunnel. God is calling us to a deeper faith, a deeper trust, a more resilient belief, a greater dependency. And it's like being in a tunnel where we're being led by a guide. And at first, the light outside the tunnel reaches and reveals our steps. But as you go deeper with Jesus, you have to rely increasingly on his voice to know the way. Don't be surprised when the answers to your prayers don't come as quickly as they did before or as easily. Don't be surprised by the waiting or the trials that you face in this life. He's drawing us deeper into a life where we live by faith and not by sight. Where our reliance on what we see and hear and touch is getting transferred onto him. His voice and his promises. Until we are so content in all circumstances by his voice. He's inviting us to rich intimacy, unceasing peace, boundless joy and deep, deep love, immeasurable, embarrassingly rich reward. The tunnel comes to an end eventually, guys. And that's when we reach eternity and we stand face to face with a God who shines brighter than a thousand suns.